Mic check, mic check. Okay, there we go. Good. Got a little bit worried for a moment. Good morning, good morning. It is Friday. Yesterday was a great day. This has been a great week. Last week was a great week. And of course, you guys know what we're going to talk about today. It is the new Hunter Biden indictment. I am so excited. Uh, Just block out all those black pillars. They are activated and they are trying to bring you down and prevent you from enjoying what is a really good happening. And (laughs) just ignore them because they don't have a leg to stand on. Even some of my favorite black pillars who... I follow, uh, such as Hans over at Epoch Times, is excited about this one. So everybody who's blackpilling over it is literally someone who is just wallowing in their misery and trying to spread it. Uh, ignore them. Focus here. Focus on the documents. We have great stuff to cover. This is a happening that people said would never happen, would never occur. Yet here we are. Here we are. So... We got a couple things I want to hit first, uh, just just a couple little news things uh, with Trump, and then we're going to go right into this indictment. It is fairly long; it's fifty plus pages. It is a speaking indictment, like Durham used to drop. So it tells a story. We're going to read it. I'm going to kind of be rushed a little bit this morning because um, I, I am limited on time. But oh, this is going to be good. I am so happy. All right, before I get into it. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. Really appreciate it. If you would like to do more than just hit like and subscribe and share the video, which I appreciate very much. And by the way, I've been adding, um, I guess I should show this. Well, actually, I didn't need to click over there. I can just click right over here on my rumble. So I used to put clips from my show on its own clips channel. And I have, I have a channel that's just for clips over on Rumble, which is fine. But now that Rumble has playlist, I've been making playlists. So if you go right here to playlist, you'll find a playlist that just has clips from the show. And you'll also find a playlist that only ha- that has all of my Durham report coverage. And I'll make some more playlists. Maybe I'll do one that has all of my readings of Trump indictment stuff. I'm not sure. Um, feel free to make suggestions to me. Um, and the comments on the videos and whatnot. But yeah, if you're looking for clips from the show, go over to the playlist, go to clips and boom, there you go. I made some clips from the last show, um, on Wednesday and I will be making more. Those clips are a great way to spread the show around. And a lot of people, they won't watch a two hour, three hour show, but they might watch a 15 minute clip and then maybe get interested in watching the rest of the show. So those are the best ways to support the show, you know, share it around, hit the like button and all that. If you would like to do more over on my link tree and in the description of the show, you will find a section that's titled support links where you can go to coffee.com or ko-fi.com. Keep my, keep me caffeinated. I certainly need it. I was actually winding down last night and then the new story broke Hunter Biden indicted the indi- the docket could be live within the hour. So I immediately drank a Red Bull. <laughs> I was like, this is, I'm going to have to stay up. Another way to support the show is uh, using the affiliate link in my link tree or on the description. Go to BensonHoneyFarms.com. Get yourself some honey candy. Most importantly, get yourself some honey. It is delicious. 
and it is raw and it is is hasn't been superheated, hasn't been pasteurized, like all that all that stuff. No, it's just it's just straight up raw honey from an America First business. There's also an affiliate link for bootleg products. I love their products and cook with them almost every single day. The seasonings, the salsas, the chili is phenomenal. Um, the uh, spaghetti sauce, which like it's the red sauce. Um, I made some um, pasta the other day, some tortellini, and uh, it was really good. It's a, it's got a little bit of a kick to it, a little bit of a kick. My youngest kid couldn't couldn't do it, but my ten year old he could handle it. Uh, great products over here. Again, if you use the uh, um, affiliate link when you make a purchase over here, just like with Benson Honey Farms, they kick a couple dollars my way. And then there's Manly Cans. If you click the affiliate link and go to Manly Cans and buy a Christmas gift for the man in your life, they kick a few dollars my way. They sent me one right here. I got the Dapper Can full of uh, beard care products and cologne and like all this other manly stuff, you know, a brush, beard balm, beard oil, all that stuff, all that good stuff. And I have my own merch over at Red White Bourbon 45. Lots of great products, hats and hoodies and shirts and stuff like that, that you know, has my logo on it or has one of my expressions on it, like program yourself. Um, but the the best thing over here is the coffee mugs and the pint glasses. And of course, my favorite is the understanding is greater than reacting mug. And that's what we're going to do today. We are going to understand the Hunter Biden indictment in context. Um, and we're going to read the whole thing. I don't think I need my true social up. I don't think I need it right now. But before we get to it, I want to update you on what's going on in the Trump case out of the District of Columbia with Judge Chutkin. So, uh, Maggie, good morning. I would I don't think I'm a chef, but I cook all. I mean, I mean, I cook almost every day. Sometimes three meals a day, but usually two. Um, I like trying out new types of food. Yeah, yep. Salt Muncher, thank you. He says, or you can drop a Rumble chat and hit the thumbs up. Yes, you can. Rumble rants are a good way to support the show. I will say Rumble takes 30% of of the rant money. Um the the ways the ways that you get like the most bang for your buck is if you buy a product for yourself through an affiliate link, you know, because you actually get an item. Or if you do a paid subscription to my um my substack, justhuman.substack.com, which is where I do the podcast version of the show. And then the Ko-Fi link, 100% of the dollars you, you put there make their way to me. So those are the best ways to support the show, uh, where the most of your dollar actually makes it to where you intend it to go. All right. Um, if you hear something on in the background, that is my wife. We are, we're kind of in a funny situation. My wife is streaming over there on the other side of the curtain in her studio and like doing a, a class. And I'm over here streaming over here with my class. <laughs> okay, so over in the United States versus Trump in D.C., the Judge Chutkin case, the J6 case, there's been a couple developments, uh, namely that 
Trump and team have filed a motion to appeal, which we knew that they they would. They'd be appealing the uh, the denial of his dismissal. Um, that she, that we knew that Judge Jukin would deny Trump's motions to dismiss. She's he filed four of them, which we read on the show. She denied two of them. Uh, the one to dismiss on constitutional grounds and the one to dismiss on presidential immunity. There's a third one that I think will she'll deny and should also be appealed, which is the statutory grounds. But Trump has appealed these things to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Not unexpected at all. Trump also filed a motion saying that... Uh, here we go. Open for me. There you go. He also filed this motion saying that the, the court's proceedings should be stayed um, or paused. That's what that means. He wants to pause it. He wants to put a pause on everything going on in this D.C. case. Absolutely everything. Pause the schedule. Pause all the deadlines. Pause all the filings. All activity. Until the Court of Appeals has heard and ruled on his, on his motion. Which makes sense. Isn't unusual. I don't know if she'll comply. But that is what Trump has filed. And he included in here at the very end of it that counsel for the pre for president trump conferred with counsel for the prosecution who opposed the relief requested herein so jack smith special counsel opposes a pause in this case they want to keep it moving forward um while these things are under under appeal um I'm kind of I'm hoping that it is paused because I kind of would like to take a break from reading filings in this case for a little while. <laughs> Not going to lie. Uh, so I wouldn't mind all everything being paused in this. But who knows if it's paused, it also will probably push back all the deadlines and then push back the trial date. So nothing to complain about there. We want this thing going deep into the campaign, right? So next. Last night, I was having, once we heard that there might be an indictment dropping within the hour on Hunter Biden, I went over to uh, Pacer and searched Hunter Biden's name, uh, Robert Hunter Biden, and I just kept hitting refresh, 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 refresh for like 45 minutes until it finally appeared on Pacer. So we have it. United States v. Robert Hunter Biden. It is a felony tax case out of California. There are six misdemeanors, three felonies. He is facing a possible 17 years in prison if convicted. Now, none of us really think that he's going to get 17 years in prison, but still. Hunter is now twice indicted. Special Counsel Weiss has brought nine new charges against Hunter Biden. They are, the first one through five are fa failure to file and pay taxes. Count six is evasion of assessment. Seven and eight, false or fraudulent tax returns and failure to file and pay taxes. It has been assigned to Judge Mark C. Scarcy. I haven't looked into him at all. At some point we might. I'm going to jump off of my thread over here and write to the actual indictment. But if you're looking for a thread to share on X, I have it here. And I also put a thread reader link on Telegram and on True Social. So we're going to go through this indictment. But before we get into it, I do want to take a bit of a victory lap. 
and also like, I mean, I want to take a victory lap and kind of brag a bit, but I also just want to like illustrate that you can use logic and deduction to figure out what is going on here. I predicted back on April 26th of 2022 that AG Garland was going to appoint a special counsel to investigate the Biden crime family. And I was right. And I wasn't right because I have secret sources. <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne Cates. <laughs> he gives me permission to brag. I, I wasn't right because I had secret sources. And I'm not, I wasn't right because I'm an attorney who's an expert in lawfare or in, anything like that. I was right because I realized that the Biden administration and everything happened to the Biden family was a mirror to what happened to Trump's family while he was in office. Trump got a special counsel appointed. His family got scrutinized. His taxes got scrutinized. He had like, like everything that's been happening to the Biden crime family happened to Trump first. And I saw that happening and thought, you know what? It makes all the sense in the world that eventually there's going to be a special counsel to appoint appointed to investigate the Biden crime family. And at the time I made this prediction, it was very unpopular, which is another reason why I bring it up because I was ridiculed for even thinking that AG Garland would ever do such a thing because after all, AG Garland is swampy and he's mean and he's corrupt and he's a leftist and all sorts of junk that people say about him. But in truth, he's not, he's not, it doesn't fit. The fake news about Merrick Garland just doesn't fit what you, once you dig beneath the surface and here we are. I mean, really here we are like, the first Hunter Biden indictment, the first one combined all of these charges into, you know, into one filing misdemeanors. And then we got the plea bargain and the plea bargain, you know, he was pleading to like one misdemeanor and everything else was going to be looked glossed over. And he was, he wasn't going to have to face charges for those. And everyone's, like, Oh, it's a whitewash. He's got a sweetheart deal and all these things. But special counsel Weiss's team in that hearing made sure to blow that up. And I maintain that it was always going to blow up that Hunter Biden's attorneys were trying to make that plea deal out. They were trying to get the DOJ lawyers to say that it covered more than it did. And special counsel Weiss's lawyers, including Mr. Wise, who's not the same person as special counsel Weiss, Mr. Wise is a different attorney, attorney with a similar sounding and spelled name. In that diversion agreement and the plea agreement, when the judge was doing her job going through it and asking about the plea agreement, Hunter's team was not happy when they found out that it didn't cover as much as they thought. And the, the judge in that, who Noreka, who's great, said, all right, let's talk a little bit more about this to the extent of the agreement. Uh, to the extent the agreement not to prosecute is promised, and here I'll zoom in just a little bit more, do the parties have some understanding what the scope of that agreement is? And here's where things broke down. Mr. Wise of Special Counsel Weiss's team said, yes, your honor. The court said, no, tell me, like specifically, what does it include? You said that there is an investigation. I don't know what it is, but you must know that there are particular charges that could be brought based on the facts that are there. 
And Mr. Y said, so I can tell you what I think we can't charge. I can't tell you what the ongoing investigation is. So understand, at the point that the plea, sweetheart plea agreement was on the table, Hunter Biden was looking at getting a plea agreement for the gun charge and the tax charges. But there was still an investigation going on that didn't involve those charges. It was for something else. So, for instance, I think based on the terms of the agreement, we cannot bring tax evasion charges, which is what Special Counsel Weiss has just brought. We can't bring tax evasion charges for the years described in the factual statement to the plea agreement. And I think we cannot bring forth firearms charges based on the firearm identified in the factual statement of the diversion agreement. Those firearm charges got turned from one misdemeanor into three felonies, didn't they? So... Here we are. Special Counsel Weiss, because after this plea agreement broke down, Special Counsel Weiss has now indicted Hunter Biden on three felony gun charges and on three felony, six misdemeanor tax evasion charges. Which means Special Counsel Weiss has brought all of the charges he could possibly bring that were previously covered under this plea agreement that fell apart. That still leaves the investigation that was ongoing at the time of this plea agreement hearing. The court replied, all right, so there are references to foreign companies, for example, in the facts section. Could the government bring a charge under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? Mr. Wise replied, yes. So, I bring that up because I want everybody to understand that this ain't the end. This is the second, well, the third indictment of Hunter Biden, but I don't think it's the last. There's still another investigation out there. One concerning Farah. We've got the indictments that would have happened without the plea agreement. We're here. But we haven't seen what that other investigation might produce. And I'm going to go back to what I said here. Merrick Garland is going to appoint a special counsel to investigate the Biden crime family. Well, how do you investigate a crime family? The gun charge, not nah, the gun, you know, that doesn't really get at the Biden crime family, right? But income from foreign nations and foreign companies, that does. How do you bring down a crime family? You follow the money. And that is what special counsel Weiss has done. So United States district court for the central district of California, where special counsel Weiss tried to bring charges before and the U S attorney over in California reportedly wouldn't work with him on it. I think that this is all timed, and I think that that's a bit, I don't know if I would call it kayfabe, but I think there's very much a cover story going on to explain the delays with this stuff so that it would all be occurring now and playing out while Trump's got his case and there's Biden impeachment ongoing and we've had the IRS whistleblowers who are completely justified now. In light of this indictment, 
The IRS whistleblowers have been proved completely credible. And their hearings and all the work they've been doing with the House Republicans has been proved worthwhile. And all the work that the House Republicans have been doing with their hearings and their info drops. I mean, that, you know, I've been saying it's episodic. Which, what Comer, Jordan, and the others in the House, the, the, what's his name from the House Ways and Means Committee? I can't think of his name right now with the glasses. Um, all the work they have been doing to educate people on the Biden crime family, one nugget at a time, you know, like every week or so, they've, they're, they've got some new document, they've got some testimony, they got some witness appearing or some deposition or whatever. You know, it's just piece by piece by piece. They throwing up a bank record here and there. It's all work to educate people and the names that are in this, the entities that are in this, the scenarios that play out in this indictment, all of it's familiar to us. There's not really anything new at all. What is new is that a special counsel has put it all together and brought forth charges and put out a speaking indictment which is pretty harsh at times and humorous. So welcome. Let's read this. Defendant Robert Hunter Biden, hereafter the defendant, was a Georgetown and Yale educated lawyer, lobbyist, consultant, and business person. And beginning in April 2018, a resident of Los Angeles, California. At times relevant to this indictment, the defendant served on the board of a Ukrainian industrial conglomerate and a Chinese private equity fund. So by sentence two, we are already getting into foreign entanglements. He negotiated and executed contracts and agreements for business and legal services that paid millions of dollars of compensation to him and or his domestic corporations, Owasco PC and Owasco LLC. Familiar names. In addition to his business interest, the defendant was an employee of a multinational law firm working in an of counsel capacity from 2009 through at least 2017. I think it was basically a no-show no -show job at Boy Schiller, but the defendant engaged in a four-year scheme to not pay at least $1.4 million in self-assessed federal taxes he owed for the tax years 2016 through 2019 from in and or about January 2017 through in or about October 15th of 2020, and to evade the assessment of taxes for tax years 2018 when he filed false returns in or about February 2020. In furtherance of that scheme, the defendant, A, subverted the payroll and tax withholding process of his own company, Owasco PC, by withdrawing millions from Wasco PC outside of the payroll and tax withholding process that it was designed to perform. B. Spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle rather than paying his tax bills. C. In 2018, stopped paying his outstanding and overdue taxes for tax year 2015. D. Willfully failed to pay his 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019 taxes on time, despite having access to funds to pay some or all of these taxes. Willfully failed to file his 2017 and 2018 tax returns on time. And when he did finally file his 2018 returns, 
included false business deductions in order to evade assessment of taxes to reduce the substantial tax liabilities he faced as of February 2020. Dwayne Cates, thank you for the rant. He says, troll free, your French mime license is hereby revoked. Eyebrows no longer arch villain sharp. Mustache not pointy enough. Do better. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I didn't... uh... I didn't fancy I didn't I didn't do anything fancy this morning. I just took a comb and brushed in some beard oil and rushed my kid to school and made coffee and came straight down here. So <laughs> I may have been up late um enjoying a whiskey or two and celebrate and enjoying threading this this uh indictment. I'll do better. I'll 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 pretty myself up for you on on Sunday, Dwayne. <laughs> I'll tr- I'll try I'll try to be my my typically gorgeous self just for you, Dwayne. All right. The defendant made millions of dollars in income from 2016 to 2020. You know, taxation is theft, and I am against income taxes, but they are the law, and Hunter Biden is in violation of the law, and it does provide a very useful mechanism for tracking swampy money. So I'm not going to complain, but my position is that taxes are theft. All right. The defendant made millions of dollars in income from 2016 to 2020 between 2016 and October 15th, 2020, the defendant individually received more than $7 million in total gross income. This included in excess of $1.5 million in 2016 $2.3 $2.3 million in 2017, $2.1 million in 2018, $1 million in 2019, and approximately 188000 from January through October 15th, 2020. In addition, from January through October 15th, 2020, the defendant received approximately $1.2 million in financial support to fund his extravagant lifestyle. Burisma Holdings Limited. In or about, or in or around April 2014, the defendant joined the board of directors of Burisma Holdings Limited, a Ukrainian industrial conglomerate. Burisma agreed to pay the defendant an annual salary of approximately $1 million to be paid in monthly disimbursements or disbursements. In March 2017, Burisma reduced his compensation to approximately $500,000 a year, but he continued to serve on the board of directors until in or around April 2019. So Trump takes office and Burisma cuts Hunter's pay in half. As a result, he received a total of approximately $1,002,016 in 2016, $630,556 in 2017. $491,939 in 2018 and $160,207 in 2019. The Romanian contract. In the fall of 2015, the defendant entered into an oral agreement with Business Associate One purportedly to help a Romanian business person, GP. GP would be George Popovicu or Jorge Popovicu. It's definitely Popovicu to contest bribery charges that he was facing in his home country. 
Popovichu paid an entity associated with the business Associate One through GP's Romanian business. I believe business Associate One is uh, James Gilyar, I think. I can pick I can pick all these things like piece all these things together about who all these people are um using what the oversight committee has put out in House Ways and Means plus the Marco Polo report and the emails. You can pick all these things out. I know it's some of these names. Rob Walker. That's who it was. I think it's Rob Walker as business associate one, but business associate two, I think is Tony Bobolinsky, and a, and associate three is James Gilyar, I think. Um, I can figure it out. We all know these names. They're all familiar names. Between November 2015 and May 2017, Business Associate One's entity received approximately $3,101,258, which was split roughly into thirds between the defendant, Business Associate One, and Business Associate Two. CEFC China Limited. In the late fall of 2015, the defendant, Business Associate One, and Business Associate Two began to investigate potential infrastructure projects with individuals associated with CEFC China Energy Company Limited, a Chinese energy conglomerate, another familiar name. In or around December of that year, the defendant met in Washington, D.C. with individuals associated with CEFC. During the next two years, the defendant, Business Associate One, and Business Associate Two continued to meet with the individuals associated with CEFC, including in February 2017, with CEFC's then chairman, hereafter the chairman, that would be uh, Ye. What's his name? Yi Jianming or Ye Jianming. On or about March 1st, 2017, State Energy HK a Hong Kong entity associated with CEFC paid approximately $3 million to business associate once entity for sourcing deals and for identifying other potential ventures. The defendant had an oral agreement with business associate one to receive one third of those funds or a million dollars. The defendant in turn directed a portion of those million dollars to business associate three. After the state energy HK payment, the defendant Business Associate 1 and 2 began negotiating a joint venture with individuals associated with CEFC, which they called SinoHawk. Over the summer of 2017, the defendant cut out his SinoHawk business partners, that would be when Tony Bobolinsky got cut, and separately negotiated a venture with individuals associated with CEFC called Hudson West 3. On or about August 2nd, 2017, the defendant executed, on behalf of Owasco PC, the operating agreement with Hudson West 3. Hudson West 3 was funded with an initial $5 million of capital contribution from an entity that was not owned or controlled by the defendant. The contract further named the defendant as a manager of Hudson West 3 and specified that he would receive compensation of $100,000 per month and a one-time retainer fee of $500,000. Owasco PC paid no capital contribution for its ownership share of Hudson West 3. By the way, right here, this $5 million initial contribution, I think is where foreign 
influence comes in and where the FARA charges could stem off of, eventual FARA charges could stem off of. But Weiss is bringing the tax case just as taxes only, just clear cut, dry. These are the tax crimes he, he committed. Shortly after execution of the contract on or about August 8th, 2017, Hudson West 3 transferred approximately $400,000 to Owasco PC. Thereafter, Owasco PC received monthly transfers of approximately $165,000. In total, Hudson West 3 made seven transfers to Owasco PC in 2017, totaling approximately $1.445 million. The defendant then transferred the approx approximately $555,000 of these funds from Owasco PC's Wells Fargo account to Business Associate 3. In 2018, Hudson West 3 made another 15 transfers to Owasco PC, totaling approximately $2.1 million. And the defendant transferred approximately $843,999 of these funds to Business Associate 3. Mermaid Miss K, good morning and happy birthday to you. Very happy birthday to you. Music and Fiction says that just that uh, Judge Mark Scarcy is a Trump appointee. Interesting. Next. Skinetiles. On or about September 21st, 2017. The defendant received a transfer of approximately $666,572 from Skinetiles, which was a partnership owned 75% by the defendant and 25% by Business Associate 4. This one has confused me. I went and looked to see if I could figure out who Business Associate 4 is, and I'm sure it's a familiar name, but I don't know who it is because everywhere I, every news report I have found that, re that has some mention of the Skinetiles LLC says Hunter is the sole controller of that company. So whoever it was, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Devin Archer and then, you know, Hunter now has a hundred percent of it, but every news story I found, even in, even where Skinetiles is mentioned in the Marco Polo report, it says that Hunter Biden is the sole beneficiary of it or the sole owner of Skinetiles and that it still has a 10% stake in BHR. So, um, but one of them, one, one of them, I don't know which one, the one of the familiar names is this other 25% business associate for is one of those other 25% or one of those names we're familiar with. All right. The defendant and business associate four had a variety of business interest and investments. Next one is global. I believe that global is referring to uh, Eudora, Eudora, Eudora Global, and the trial attorney. Not sure who it is. I'm sure I can figure it out if I do a little bit more sleuthing and cross-referencing with the Marco Polo report and the uh, the oversight reports. But Eudora Global is one of Hunter's companies that's mentioned in the Marco Polo report. In this indictment, they just call it global. Global was a venture capital firm founded and operated by a trial attorney. The defendant and business associate four received equity in Global in exchange for producing or introducing trial attorney to their contacts in China and India. On or about March 21st, 2019, the defendant received a distribution of approximately $619,000 from Global via Skinetiles. 
All right. Financial support from personal friend. We know who the personal friend is. The personal friend is Hunter's sugar brother, Kevin Morris. <laughs> you know, the guy who was hitting a bong over on uh, Hunter's porch at one point. And gave, he gave Hunter millions of dollars for some reason. It's this guy right here. From January through October 15th, 2020, an entertainment lawyer, hereafter a personal friend, provided the defendant with substantial financial report, support, including approximately $200,000 to rent a lavish house on a canal in Venice, California, $11,000 in payments for his Porsche, and other individual items. In total, the defendant had personal friend pay over $1.2 million to third parties for the defendant's benefit from January through October 15th, 2020. Next, and I love this, guys. This is so much fun, and it gets further down in the indictment, it gets more fun. But Special Counsel Weiss is even bringing up Hunter's memoir. In 2019, the defendant began writing a nonfiction memoir where he described his substance abuse and addiction issues that was ultimately titled Beautiful Things. On November 25th, 2019, the defendant signed a contract with a publishing house from January through October 15th, 2020. The defendant received approximately $140,625 paid into the, his wife's bank account related to the book. The defendant had a legal obligation to file and pay taxes. The U.S. income tax system imposes a tax base on income on individuals and corporations, which is theft, but beside, that's beside the point right now. The tax is, a ta is taxable income as defined times a specified tax rate. The U.S. system allows reduction of taxable income for both business and some non-business expenditures called deductions. Business deductions must be both necessary and ordinary. The U.S. system is based on self-assessment. That means that taxpayers must declare and pay tax without being told the amount that is due by the taxing authority, which is retarded, but it is what it is. The U.S. system is also pay-as-you-go, meaning that, tax, that taxes must either be withheld from wages and paid over to the U.S. Treasury in the year in which income is earned, which is the case with most taxpayers, or be paid quarterly to the U.S. Treasury on an estimated basis, again, during the year in which the income that is taxed is earned. When taxes are filed in the following year, any withholdings or estimated tax payments are applied against what a taxpayer owes, resulting either in a refund or an amount due to the U.S. Treasury. The U.S. system relies on the honesty and integrity of individual taxpayers. While the Internal Revenue Service audits some tax returns each year, as a practical matter, it can only audit a tiny fraction of taxpayers. Tax returns are typically due on April 15th of the calendar year following the tax year. A taxpayer may request and receive an extension to file his return, which generally makes the due date October 15th. Taxpayers are required to pay any taxes owed on April 15th, regardless of whether they file a return on that date. In other words, an extension to file a return does not entitle a taxpayer to delay paying taxes. Those are still due on or about April 15th. Form 1040 
the U.S. Individual Income Tax Return, is the standard IRS form that individual taxpayers use to file their annual income tax returns. The form contains sections that require taxpayers to disclose their taxable income for the year to determine whether additional taxes are due and owing or whether the filer will receive a tax refund. Form 1120 is the U.S. Corporation Income Tax Return is the standard IRS form that domestic corporations, also referred to as C-corporations, use to file their annual income tax returns. C-corporations report their income, gains, losses, deductions, and credits on Form 1120 and use it to determine their income tax liability. Owasco PC, of which the defendant was the 100% owner, was a C-corporation that had to file a U.S. corporate income tax return on Form 1120 and pay taxes on its income. The defendant had a legal obligation to pay taxes on all his income, including income earned in Ukraine from his service on Burisma's board, fees generated by deal-making with the Chinese private equity fund, as well as income derived from his work as a lawyer and other sources. The defendant owed substantial individual income taxes in the years 2016, 17, 18, and 19. The following is a summary of the self-assessed taxes that the defendant reported he owed on his Form 1040 and failed to timely pay. And this shows in 2016, Self-assessed due was $45,000, 2017, $581,000, 2018, $620,000, 2019, $197,000. The defendant knew he had to file and pay taxes. Because of his varied income streams and to facilitate the withholding and payments of taxes to the IRS, the defendant formed Owasco PC, a C corporation, in or about 2006. Owasco PC's sole purpose was to ensure that there were sufficient withholdings from all the streams of the defendant's income to pay his taxes. Instead of, instead of receiving income directly into his personal bank account, the defendant directed third parties to pay Owasco PC, which had its own bank account, any income owed to him. Owasco PC then used a payroll service to pay the defendant a salary out of the income it received. The payroll service made tax withholdings on behalf of the defendant, which it paid over to the IRS, and the defendant also made quarterly payments and payments with extensions to the IRS, all in anticipation of when the defendant filed his individual income tax return. Because the defendant's income varied from year to year, the defendant, in consultation with his Washington, D.C.-based accountant, which we'll call the D.C. accountant, that person is Bill Morgan, who passed away. Uh, yeah, his name is the DC accountant equals Bill Morgan and business associate for periodically adjusted his tax withholdings to ensure that he did not generate additional tax liabilities. The defendant and business associate for also created a standalone bank account that they referred to as a tax account into which the defendant deposited funds to pay taxes. If he owed anything beyond the withholdings made by a Wasco PC. This arrangement meant that the defendant had to file an individual income tax return on IRS Form 1040, where he reported the income he earned from Owasco PC and other sources and could pay taxes on that income using the withholdings Owasco PC had made and funds from his tax account. 
The defendant also had to file a separate corporate income tax return for a Wasco PC on IRS Form 1120 and could pay any taxes it owed from the Wasco PC's bank account. This structure generally functioned effectively until 2017 when the defendant, as detailed below, subverted it. Irrespective of the Wasco PC structure and his standalone tax account, the defendant knew he had to file individual and corporate income tax returns and pay tax on the income that he earned in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. He had done so for tax years 2014 and 2015, the two years preceding this scheme to not pay taxes. So that proves that Hunter Biden knew how to do this and had done it before. The defendant timely filed after requesting an extension his 2014 individual income tax return on IRS Form 1040 on October 9th, 2015. The defendant reported owing $239,076 in taxes and having already paid $246,996 to the IRS, the defendant claimed he was entitled to a refund of $7,920. The defendant did not report his income from Burisma on his 2014 Form 1040. All the money the defendant received from Burisma in 2014 went to a company, hereafter ABC, and was deposited into his bank account. ABC and its bank account were owned and controlled by a business partner of the defendant's business associate 5. Business associate 5 was also a member of Burisma's board of directors. So that's going to be Devin Archer. The defendant received transfers of funds from the ABC bank account and funds from ABC bank account were used to make investments on the defendant's behalf. Because he owned ABC, Business Associate 5 paid taxes on income that he and the defendant received from Burisma starting in November 2015. The defendant directed his Burisma board fees to an Owasco PC bank account that he controlled. The defendant timely filed, after requesting an extension, his 2015 individual income tax return on IRS Form 1040 on October 17, 2016. The defendant reported owing $820,801 in taxes and having withheld $644,781, he owed the IRS $176,550. For tax year 2015, the defendant declared income he received from Burisma on his Form 1040. From at least January 2017 through April 2017, Business Associate 4 and Personal Assistant 1 provided the defendant with periodic updates regarding his cash flow and outstanding liabilities, including his various income tax liabilities. From April 2017, to September 2017, Personal Assistant 1 sent the defendant a weekly bill update detailing his IRS liabilities and other outstanding bills. The defendant controlled his finances and directed Business Associate 4 and Personal Assistant 1 to pay certain bills and not others. The defendant routinely chose to pay personal expenses and not pay his outstanding tax liabilities. Further, Beginning in or around May 2017, the defendant began to make periodic $10,000 payments to the IRS towards his outstanding 2015 individual income tax liability. Between May 2017 and March 2018, 
he made seven such payments, totaling $70,000, but made no further payments after March 2018. At that time, he still owed $106,020 for tax year 2015. The defendant used the services of the D.C. accountant from January 1st, 2017 until the D.C. accountant's death in or around June 2019. In November 2019, the defendant engaged the services of an accounting firm in Los Angeles, which hereafter we will call the California accountants. Post Miz says, I live, thank you for the rant. They say, I live in the Finger Lakes and Scanetelles is pronounced Scanetelles. Scanetelles? I don't know. All the vowels are pronounced. I live between Owasco Lake and Cayuga Lake. I bet it's gorgeous up there. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've ever said that word aloud, <laughs> like in my life. Maybe not. I'm pretty sure in my, like in my whole life, I don't think I've ever said it aloud. <laughs> so, so give me some margin here. <laughs> All right. Next, rather than pay his taxes, the defendant spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. I need some more coffee in my cup. Hold up, hold up. Coffee thermos for the win. Okay. The defendant spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle at the same time he chose not to pay his taxes. The defendant spent approximately $1 million in 2016, $1.4 million in 2017, $1.8 million in 2018, and $600,000 in 2019. From January through October 15th, 2020, the defendant received more than $1.2 million in financial support that was used to pay various personal expenses, but not any of his federal in individual income tax liabilities from 2016 to 2019. Between 2016 and October 15, 2020, the defendant spent his money on, drug, on drugs, escorts, and girlfriends, luxury hotels, rental properties, exotic cars, clothing, and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes. Now, fam, we have been told that Special Counsel Weiss is a Democrat hack that was recommended by two other Democrat hacks, and Trump was forced to appoint him on a blue slip, and special counsel wise is dithering. He's stretching this whole investigation out. He's handling Hunter Biden with kid gloves. He's uh it's a cover-up operation, and nothing's ever gonna come of it. And then special counsel wise writes a sentence like this. Between 2016 and October 15, 2020, the defendant spent his money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, luxury hotels and rental properties, exotic cars, clothing and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes. Now, I understand this isn't the knockout blow. Hunter's indicted for influencing 
the Obama administration on behalf of Ukraine type indictment. But dang, that's a gut punch right there. The following is a summary of the approximate expenditures that the defendant made instead of paying his taxes. ATM withdrawals totaled between those years, 2016 to 2019, those four years, Hunter withdrew a total of $1.6 million plus from ATMs. He spent $683,000 on, quote, various women. Remember that. $683,000 on various women. That comes up later. <laughs> Brain strain again gives a $5 rant and says, here's $5 towards your extravagant lifestyle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Clothing, he spent almost $400,000. Tuition, education, he spent over $300,000. Health, beauty, and pharmacy. So, <laughs> I guess massages, haircuts, cosmetic stuff. Maybe his the teeth surgery thing where he got his teeth replaced. 237000 Miscellaneous retail, 236000 Food and groceries and restaurants, 214000 Insurance. Golly, man. Hunter spent more on going to restaurants that me and my wife have spent on like everything in those years. Like, golly. Insurance. Like, you can buy all the money my wife and I earned for those years, and it's less than what Hunter spent on restaurants going out to eat. Insurance, 200000 Loan and mortgage payments, 191000 Adult entertainment. So, strip clubs. Strip clubs cost... Hunter, $188,000. He went to a... Okay, look at this. In 2018, Hunter went to a $100,000 worth of strip clubs. Or maybe it's $100,000 worth of strip clubs and like paid videos on Pornhub. Golly. Legal and accounting fees, $147,000. Thank you, Brain Strain again. Telephone utilities, one hundred eighteen thousand. Rehab, on rehab, he spent seventy one thousand dollars. I will say, I will do my best not to deride and ridicule Hunter. Uh, too bad for his drug addictions, because I myself am a recovering addict, and so I, I do have some sympathy for him when it comes to drug addiction and all of that. I do have I do have some some empathy. I really do. But I will make fun of him for the other stuff. Wells Fargo Advisors Roth IRA 53,000. Credit card payments 58,000, home improvement 42,000, home help and cleaning and childcare 39,000, entertainment 24,000, sports and recreation 23,000. So for a grand total Hunter spent $4.9 million plus during those years, and his tax liabilities were like $1.6 million. So if he had just put like $1.6 million of this towards his tax liabilities, he'd be free and clear of all of this.
The defendant late filed. Oh, there were Unchained. Thank you for the cookie and good morning to you. Filter Dog. Thank you for the can. Oh yeah, and there he had sex club memberships. That's right. That's right. So that's going to be in that um adult entertainment uh, column. Okay. The defendant late filed his taxes when facing contempt charges in two civil suits. Now, remember those various women that he spent $600,000 on or whatever? Remember them? Well, in 2019 and early 2020, the defendant became embroiled in two civil lawsuits. As part of the lawsuits, he had to produce financial records, including his tax returns. These lawsuits forced the defendant to file his outstanding tax returns for 2017 and 2018. Folks, these two civil suits were brought by the two women in Hunter Biden's life that he was not paying. So there's all the various women that Hunter Biden was paying. But these two women, he was not paying. And because of that, his financial records became public. (laughs) Oh, how do you like them apples? Beginning in May 2019, person one, which is uh, person one. Let me go over here. There we go. London. That's London Alexis Roberts is person one. And then his ex-wife is Kathleen Buell. Beginning in May 2019, person one brought brought a paternity and child support action in Arkansas State Court against the defendant. In June 2019, the defendant's ex-wife brought a motion to enforce a marital separation agreement between herself and the defendant in the Superior Court of the District of Columbia. Because the defendant had stopped making spousal support payments and refused to provide financial records, including his tax returns, that were necessary to calculate the amount of spousal support he owed per his agreement with his ex-wife. Yeah, degenerate is right. In 2019, the defendant continually stonewalled the production of financial records through which person one and the defendant's ex-wife and the court sought to ascertain the defendant's financial situation and ability to pay. The demands for the defendant's tax return steadily increased, escalating in November 2019. That month, the defendant hired the California accountants to prepare his late and unfiled individual income tax returns and Owasco PC's corporate returns for the 2017 and 2018 tax years. Subsequently, an Arkansas court issued an order that the defendant had until January 16, 2020, to produce his individual income tax returns for 2017 and 2018. The D.C. Superior Court likewise ordered the defendant to produce the same returns by January 17, 2020. The defendant missed both deadlines, prompting counsel in the Arkansas case and in the D.C. Superior Court case to move for contempt. If the defendant were found to be in contempt, either court could incarcerate the defendant for his failure to comply with court orders. On January 21, 2020, the Arkansas court issued in order that the defendant appear and show cause why he should not be held in contempt. After the defendant entered into a temporary child support agreement with person one, the court court continued the hearing on the motion for contempt and gave the defendant until March 1st, 2020 to provide the missing records, including his 2017 and 2018 individual income tax returns. 
On or about February 18, 2020, the defendant late filed his 2017 Form 1040. On the 2017 Form 1040, the defendant reported $1.9 million in taxable income and $581,000 in tax due and owing. The defendant chose not to pay any of his outstanding 2017 tax liability when he late filed in 2017. Or his late his 2017 form. He late filed the 2017 form in February 2020. Thank you, WNC Gurn, for is now a monthly supporter. Thank you for being a monthly supporter. Filter Dog, thank you very much. 500 gold pills. Wow. Thank you. That same day, the defendant also late filed his 2018 Form 1040. On the 2018 Form 1040, the defendant reportedly or reported $1.6 million in taxable income from 2018 and $620,000 in tax due and owing. The defendant again chose not to pay any of his outstanding 2018 tax liability when he late filed his 2018 Form 1040 in February 2020. On January 12, 2020, the defendant late filed his 2016 Form 1040. On the 2016 Form 1040, the defendant reported $1.2 million in taxable income for 2016 and 45000 in tax due and owing. The defendant chose not to pay any of his outstanding 2016 tax liability when he late filed his 2016 Form 1040 in June of 2020. Next, the defendant had the funds to pay his 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020 taxes. As described in more detail below, in each year in which he failed to pay his taxes, the defendant had sufficient funds available to him to pay some or all of his outstanding taxes when they were due, but he chose not to pay them which all of us should ask why, right? Like, why did he not just pay these taxes? Is it just that, like, you know, did he, it didn't slip his mind. He had people constantly reminding him, constantly reminding him what he had to pay. But he chose not to pay him. Part of me wonders if he chose not to pay them on purpose so that all of this would come out and it would reveal eventually it would eventually reveal this aspect of the crime family and the influence operation, which he was part of like, I can't, I can't think of a better, like we got two oopsies here. Oopsie didn't pay my taxes for four years in a row when I easily could have paid them. I had the money. I knew what I was supposed to pay. I had hired people to do the accounting for me and keep track of it all. But he didn't pay it. And oopsie, I loaded up my laptop with all the evidence I could possibly find and left it at a repair shop and put no pass, put a very simple, put Hunter, what was it, like Hunter 2 or Hunter 3 or something was the password. And on the, on the desktop of it, on the home screen, put, put images and things that would cause the repair shop to contact the FBI. Oops. 
Notably in 2020, well after he had regained his sobriety, and when he finally filed his outstanding 2016, 2017, and 2018 Forms 1040, the defendant did not direct any payments toward his tax liabilities for each of those years. At the same time, the defendant spent large sums to maintain his lifestyle from January through October 15, 2020. In that period, he received financial support from personal friend, totaling approximately $1.2 million. The financial support included hundreds of thousands of dollars in payments for, among other things, housing, media relations, accountants, lawyers, and his Porsche. For example, the defendant spent $17,500 each month, totaling approximately $200,000 from his January through October 15, 2020, on a lavish house on a canal in Venice Beach, California, which is a really nice place. Really gorgeous place. Thus, the defendant's practice of tax noncompliance in the 2017 and 2018 tax years, well, it used to be gorgeous anyway. I have no idea what Venice Beach is like now. It might be hell. Uh, Where the IRS stood as the last creditor to be paid, persisted into later tax years. Count one. Some of these are really short. Some of these are like really, these counts as we go through these, they're like really compact, like the defendant didn't file or whatever, the defendant, whatever. But some of them are long and they get into some more details of this stuff. So there's there's some meat on the bone in these count ones. Like I know in the Durham ones, in the Durham indictments, where he got to the counts, it would be just like straight up, like really dry. You know, it there wasn't a story there, but Weiss actually put a story with these counts. Dondo over on Foxhole having a fit. Dang. Bro, you're already blackpilled, so I don't know why you're asking me questions when you're already blackpilled about it, but sorry I didn't answer your question. You started off by saying you don't think anything's going to happen while we're, you said, I'm getting a little burnt out with all the evidence and still nothing when we're literally reading a 56 page indictment that is something. So, I mean, I think, I think you've already arrived at your opinion. So road dog. Hello and good morning to you. Thank you for the gold pills. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Count one. The grand jury realleges the previous paragraphs. The defendant earned a substantial income in 2016. Over the course of 2016, the defendant earned approximately $1.5 million in gross income from the sources identified above, meaning foreign sources, plus his book. The defendant had a legal obligation to file his individual tax return. For tax year 2016, under, anyone under 65 has to pay this and this and this, blah, blah, blah. The defendant did not timely file a U.S. individual tax return form. The defendant knew he had to file and pay those taxes. On or about April 21st, 2016, the defendant made an estimated tax payment of $30,000 toward his individual 2016 income tax liability. And in 2017, Business Associate 4 and Personal Assistant 1 frequently apprised the defendant that he owed taxes for the 2016 tax year. For example, on April 15, 2017, Business Associate 4 forwarded the defendant an email from D.C. accountant, which stated, quote, 
Looks like Owasco will owe about $52,000 and Hunter will owe $26,000. The taxes that defendant owed individually were in addition to the $30,000 estimated payment he had made the previous year. On or about April 15, 2017, an extension was filed, but no further payment was made. In October 2017, DC accountant used information provided by Business Associate 4 and Personal Assistant 1 to prepare a Form 1040 for the defendant and the Form 1120 for a Wasco PC. The Form 1040 indicated that the defendant owed taxes in addition to what he had already paid. Business Associate 4 reviewed the prepared returns and left them for the defendant at his office. Business Associate 4 then emailed the defendant advising him as much. The defendant was responsible for signing and mailing his returns. On or about November 27, 2017, the defendant sent the following email to Associate Business Associate 4 and Personal Assistant 1. From Hunter, he said, Also, I just saw last week the unmarked envelope in the office requiring signatures for my taxes. I wish someone had told me, but it's my fault too. It's my fault for not thinking of that or for having ignored an email, I'm sure. I'm sure there's one you sent me saying there is a large envelope in the office sitting by the door, which requires 50 signatures, including my ex-wife's. Storm Shelter. Storm Shelter brought up... um, he asked, what's my take on Hunter's picture of Mally Obama's credit card and the pic of him and her allegedly? That's all fake. That's BS that was not on the laptop that was put out by Miles Guo and the Himalaya Exchange and Lewd Media and all of those people who have done more harm than good, in my opinion. That's actually some fake news that was put out on Parler and other places. And it very quickly, everybody distrusted it, right? Because, oh, it's lewd media and, yep, the G News News site, yep. That whole scam site, that whole entire operation is fraudulent. The whole thing. So, that's where that's from. They put out a bunch of other garbage, too, which, you know, it's kind of like, they do, it's a disinformation campaign that appeals to everybody's uh, biases, right? And then you end up making claims that are sensational and forwarding it to other people like normies and, and liberals in your life and stuff. And then when it's proved to be false, it's now discredited. It's, that is, it's now discredited, but it's also discredits you. And it just muddies the water and yeah. One of many such cases, (laughs) many such cases. All right. March 9th, 2018. The defendant's ex-wife texted him that she had discovered their unfiled 2016 tax returns in the trunk of his car. The defendant responded telling her, quote, the taxes are filed. Those were copies with the personal assistant one's notes. The tax returns had not been filed. The defendant's ex-wife responded, telling him they were not copies because they still had the checks attached to them. So they even filled out the checks. Hunter just had to send it in. Guys, did he did he not pay his not file and not pay his taxes on purpose just so we would arrive at this moment? 
because he had the money. He had the money to pay these taxes and pay for hookers and drugs and all the other stuff. Yet, he even had people he was paying to prepare taxes for him. All he had to do was sign it, mail it. But he didn't do it. On or about July 18, 2018, the IRS received a late-filed 2016 Form 1120 for Owasco, PC. The defendant did not submit an individual income tax return when he mailed the corporate one. So he took the time to mail a corporate one, but didn't do a personal one, which exposed him for owing those individual income tax returns. The defendant owed taxes for 2016, which he did not timely pay. The defendant owed individual income taxes for 2016, which were due on or before April 18, 2017. The defendant knew he had to pay taxes for 2016 tax year in 2017 because on or about April 21, 2016, he made a payment of $30,000 towards his 2016 tax liability. And on or about April, 20, April 18, 2017, the DC accountant told him he owed an additional $26,000. In 2019, as described above, the defendant retained the California accountants. The California accountants contacted the IRS on January 22, 2020 and learned that the defendant had not filed an individual income tax return for 2016. They then prepared a Form 1040 for the defendant, which he reviewed and later filed on June 12, 2020. In that return, the defendant self-assessed that he owed an additional $45,661 in taxes. He did not pay the $45,661 when he filed in June 2020. The defendant had the funds available to pay his taxes when they were due. When the defendant finally filed his 2016 Form 1040 on June 12, 2020, he had funds available to pay some or all of his taxes owed for 2016, but chose not to do so. Rather than paying his taxes, the defendant spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. From January of to June, from January to June of 2020, the defendant spent approximately $187,000 on personal expenses rather than pay the $45,661 he owed when he finally filed his 2016 form in June of 2020. The defendant also received more than $500,000 in financial support from his personal friend, his sugar brother, during this period that he used to fund his lifestyle and did not use any of those funds to pay any of his outstanding taxes for 2016. So the charge is, on count one, during the calendar year 2016, the defendant, Robert Hunter Biden, had and received taxable income of $1,276,499, on which taxable income there was owing to the United States of America an income tax of $45,661. He was required by law to pay on or before April 18, 2017, well knowing, and all of the for well knowing all of the foregoing. He did willfully fail on June 12, 2020, in the Central District of California and elsewhere to pay his income tax. So that's count one. Um, count two. 
failure to pay 2017 form 1040. The grand jury realleges paragraphs one through eight of this indictment here. The defendant earned a substantial income in 2017. Over the course of 2017, he earned $2,376,436 in gross income. For tax year 2017, blah, 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 blah. The defendant did not timely file his 2017 form. Beginning in early 2017, the defendant withdrew and transferred funds from a Wasco PC's corporate account for his personal benefit. He transferred these funds outside of a Wasco PC's established payroll system, which was meant uh, to take taxes that were withheld for these transfers or to pay taxes withheld for the transfer or whatever. When business associate four discovered that the defendant was subverting the established payroll and tax withholding process, Business Associate 4 met with and advised the defendant that he was not withholding enough money in taxes and that he would have a large tax liability due at the end of the year unless he allocated sufficient funds. From September 1st to December 31st, 2017, at the defendant's direction, Owasco PC made approximately $590,719 indirect payments to the defendant or indirect payments to third parties for his benefit. On or about April 16, 2018, the day before his 2017 taxes were due, DC accountant emailed the defendant's personal assistant at that time, hereafter personal assistant two, and advised that the defendant, quote, owes a lot of money for the 2017 tax year and inquired if the defendant had cash available for tax payments as, quote, he really should pay as much as he can. In response, personal assistant two set up a call between the defendant and the DC accountant for the next day. After that call, DC accountant filed an extension on the defendant's behalf, making his tax filings, uh, although not his tax payments, due on October 15, 2018. For the 2017 tax year, DC accountant prepared the defendant's individual and corporate income tax returns and repeatedly attempted to provide them to the defendant throughout the fall of 2018. On or about October 12th, 2018, DC accountant emailed the defendant advising him that he owed approximately $600,000 in income, individual income taxes and an additional $204,000 in corporate income taxes on behalf of a Wasco PC. DC accountant further reminded the defendant that the tax returns were due and encouraged him to file. On or about October 13th, 2018, instead of responding to DC accountant, the defendant texted his ex-wife that he could not make his alimony payment because, quote, the wire came back due to insufficient funds, you know, tuitions, alimony, taxes, rent, Jesus. The defendant had not paid his 2017 taxes when he sent that text. On or about October 23rd, 2018, DC accountant emailed the defendant again, advising him that his 2017 Form 1040 and Owasco PC's 2017 Form 1120 were due on October 15th and were late. DC accountant urged the defendant, quote, to get them filed as soon as possible since late filing and late payment penalties will continue to accrue. On or about November 8th, 2018, DC accountant emailed the defendant again, advising him that his 2017 tax returns are still unfiled and requesting an address where he could send the prepared returns for the defendant to sign and file. 
on or about November 9th, 2018. DC accountant emailed the defendant, reminding him again that, quote, you need to get 2017 filed so we can try to work out a payment schedule. On or about December 10th, 2018, the defendant texted his ex-wife, quote, I have no money. I'm waiting on a few things. When I can pay my taxes, I will pay my taxes. In the meantime, I'm struggling to pay your alimony and all the girls' expenses. On or about November 16, 2018, the defendant texted personal assistant to and asked her to send him, quote, all auto pay expenses and payroll breakdown, please. In response, on or about November 27th, personal assistant to advise the defendant that DC accountant was, quote, trying to reach you, re-taxes. And she then sent him a breakdown detailing that he had approximately $87,000 in monthly expenses, not including payments for outstanding taxes. The defendant subsequently directed personal assistant to to pay some of his personal expenses, including his boat loan payment, but not his taxes. Honor, see, all right. I mean, just as I'm going through this, guys, reading it aloud. This hunter is willfully causing his tax returns to be prepared, to be assessed, to be assembled into a filing packet sent to him. He's communicating with his accountants. He has accountants in, accountant in D.C. He has accountant in California. He has per, two personal assistants. He's got his business associates. Everybody is compiling Hunter's taxes. Or they're all compiling Hunter's taxes. They're letting him know over and over and over again that he owes these taxes, that he needs to file. They're filing extensions on his behalf. They're sending him the envelope. Uh, everything filled out. He just needs to sign it and mail it in. And he doesn't do it. But yet he's instructing personal assistants to make sure to pay this boat loan payment, make sure to pay these other things. He has the money. It seems to me like Hunter is very, very purposefully, as special counsel Wise says in here over and over, choosing not to file his taxes and choosing not to pay his taxes. The question is why? And I think the cover story as to why the cover explanation is that it's because he's a drug addict and his life is a mess and he can't get his act together. And so that's why he's not paying. But I don't find that believable when he's able to take care of these other things. Right? He's making an effort to take care of other responsibilities. So I think he's doing it on purpose, just like I think he left the laptop on purpose. On or about November 26, 2018, personal assistant two forwarded him an email from his ex-wife. In the forwarded email, the defendant's ex-wife told the personal assistant, quote, the defendant needs to send DC accountant an email confirmation that he approved sharing his tax returns with me and my accountant. That's what we agreed to in the divorce settlement. 
On or about December 20th, 2018, the defendant's ex-wife texted him and requested that the defendant authorize DC accountant to share the defendant's 2017 tax return with her as the defendant was required to provide under the party's marital separation agreement. In response, the defendant told her that, quote, my tax returns aren't completed. DC accountant is going off information from business associate four that is not accurate at all. I don't understand. I will call him now. He later sent a follow-up text claiming, quote, I have no prepared tax returns to send you now. On or about February 19th, 2019, DC accountant emailed the defendant and the defendant's attorney and reminded both that the 2017 tax returns are complete and ready to file. Would you like me to have copies sent to you electronically? Yeah, that's my wife talking in the background. She has a class going. Which I'm kind of surprised y'all can hear her today because we've streamed at the same time before and nobody ever mentioned it. But I have, I haven't changed any of my settings. My mic. I'll turn the noise gate up a little bit. Okay, I upped the noise gate just a tad. Let me know if that if that helps. Okay. Maybe she's just projecting a lot. I don't know. <laughs> okay. On or about February 19, 2019. DC accountant emailed the defendant and the defendant's attorney and reminded both that the 2017 tax returns are complete and ready to file electronically. Okay. Defendant owed taxes for 2017, which he did not pay. The defendant had a duty to pay $581,713,000 he owed in self-assessed individual income taxes for 2017 on April 17, 2018, which he chose not to do. To avoid being held in contempt of court in two separate civil proceedings, the defendant late filed his 2017 Form 1040 on February 18, 2020. In his 2017 Form 1040, the defendant self-assessed owing $581,713 in taxes. His California accountant specifically discussed with him the amounts he owed for taxes. The defendant nonetheless chose not to make any payments when he filed in February of 2020. The defendant had the funds available to pay. In April 2018, the defendant had over a million dollars available to him in individual and corporate bank accounts. Notwithstanding these available funds, the defendant chose not to pay his outstanding taxes of $581,713 when it was due. Rather than pay his taxes, the defendant spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. 2018, he spent more than $1.8 million on personal expenses rather than pay his his individual income taxes. In 2019, the year prior to filing his his 2017 form, the defendant spent more than approximately $600,000 on personal expenses rather than pay $581,000 he owed. The charge during the calendar year 2017, Robert Hunter Biden had and received a taxable income of $1.9 million, almost 2 million, on which he owed $581,000. He was required by law to pay these things. 
but he didn't. Well, knowing all of the foregoing, he did willfully fail on April 17, 2018, and on February 18, 2020, in the Central District of California and elsewhere to pay the income tax due. Count three. This one's real quick. Failure to file his form in 2017. During the calendar year 2017, defendant Robert Hunter Biden received a gross income in excess of $2.3 million. By reason of this, he was required by law following the close of the calendar year to make an income tax return. Knowing and believing all of the foregoing, he did willfully fail to do so. Count four. Failure to pay the 2018 Form 1040. Over the course of 2018, the defendant earned approximately $2.1 million in gross income from the sources identified above. And I want to point this out. The sources. The sources are foreign. The sources are Ukraine and Burisma. They're CEFC. They're like the, the Romanian Popovichu. The sources are actually the story within the story here, right? Like those are the, like the real thing here. Like what is Hunter Biden's business? What does he actually do? And what are the sources of income for those businesses? And those sources are very sketchy to say the least. But that's the story within the story. First thing Weiss is doing is going after this very simple, straightforward failure to file Failure to pay taxes. For tax year 2018, blah, blah, blah. The defendant did not timely file his 2018 Form 1040. The defendant knew he had to file and pay taxes for 2018. Defendant owed taxes for 2018, but he did not pay them. He chose not to pay. He owed $620,000. To avoid being held in contempt of court in two separate civil proceedings to the two women in his life, he did not pay money. He late filed, and then he self-assessed owing $620,000. His California accountant specifically discussed with him the amount of taxes that he owed, and he chose not to make any payments when he filed. The defendant had the funds. Roughly contemporaneous with the arrest of PH, that would be Patrick Ho. Roughly contemporaneous with the arrest of Patrick Ho, which means roughly contemporaneous with the arrest of Yi Ming in China, an individual associated with CEFC, on or about November 2nd, 2017, Hudson West 3 received a $1 million deposit from Patrick Ho. At the defendant's direction, see, this excites me because Special Weiss right there is putting his finger on money that came from CEFC, which is bribe money, right? And he and Weiss isn't going further than that and getting into what the money was for, why it was sent to him. Like none, he's not doing that. In fact, he's using initials here, Pat, PH for Patrick Ho, because this is just about the taxes. But in in pointing this out. Special Counsel Weiss is saying, I know about this. And I really believe, guys, it goes to this, that'll, that'll be in the other indictment. I think there's another indictment coming 
which won't use PH as a, as an, I don't think it'll use initials. I think he'll say Patrick Ho. <coughs> so pardon me. At the defendant's direction on or about March 22nd, 2018, the funds were transferred to a Wasco LLC, not PC. The memo line of this transfer indicated it was for Patrick Ho. Patrick Ho representation. Hunter was allegedly Patrick Ho's lawyer. Right, right, Cinco 64. Much like Durham, just putting it out there for later. Foreshadowing. Durham did a lot of foreshadowing. To justify the transfer, Hudson West 3 was provided with a letter stating that the funds were a retainer for the defendant's representation of Patrick Ho, who was under criminal investigation in the United States and was eventually indicted. I think Hunter Hunter was named as a witness in that case and was uh, going to testify, but they took him out of it. But I believe Hunter was an asset at that time already and provided intel. He provided as evidence on Patrick Ho, I believe. Separate and apart from this million dollar payment around the time that his 2018 individual income tax was required to be paid, the defendant received a substantial amounts of money, which could have satisfied his entire tax liability of $620,901, including March 6th, 2019, $50,000 from the trial attorney, March 20th, $10,000 from Scanetta Tellies or whatever. And on March 1st, 2019, $618,000 from also that place in the Finger Lakes which is related to Eudora Global, it looks like. March 21st, 2019, $40,000 from Burisma. In April 24, 2019, $39,000 from Burisma. Special Counsel Weiss has the receipts for Hunter's money. He has the receipts for the money paid into the buying crime family accounts from these foreign entities. From January through October 15th, 2020, the defendant received the benefit of personal friend paying, that would be uh, Kevin Morris, sugar brother, paying more than $1.2 million of the defendant's personal expenses, but the defendant did not direct any of those funds towards his outstanding 2018 federal income taxes. Rather than paying his taxes, the defendant spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. The defendant's expenditures increased as his income increased. In 2018, the defendant spent more than $1.8 million, including $772,000 in cash withdrawals, approximately $383,000 in payments to women who were not his ex-wife or the mother of one of his kids, the stripper, what's her name, London, whatever, approximately $151,000 in clothing and accessories, $78,000 in miscellaneous retail purchases and other payments. The defendant did not use any of these funds to pay his taxes. In 2019, the year the 2018 taxes were due, the defendant spent approximately $600,000 on personal expenses rather than pay any of the $620,000 he owed when he finally did file his 2018 form. The charge. During the calendar year of 2018, the defendant, Robert Hunter Biden, had and received a taxable income in excess of $1.6 million. He owed $620,901. Well-knowing all of the foregoing, he did willfully fail on April 15, 2019 and on February 18, 2020 in the Central District of California and elsewhere to pay the income tax due. Count 5. Failure to file 2018. 
And that's just straight up. He failed to file a form in 2018, and that's a charge. Count six, evasion of assessment for 2018 form. The defendant finally filed his 2018 Form 1040 in 2020 in order to avoid being held in contempt of court in the two civil proceedings. As described above, in 2019 and 2020, the defendant finally prepared and filed his income tax returns for 2018 in order to avoid being held in contempt of court in those proceedings. The defendant hired accountants in California to complete his 2018 returns. In or around November 2019, the defendant hired the California accountants to prepare his individual income tax returns and his corporate tax returns for a Wasco PC for 2017 and 2018. So, see, this is where the he was on drugs excuse falls apart because Hunter had the wherewithal to hire accountants specifically to accomplish these tasks, but didn't have the wherewithal to sign the piece of paper and drop an already prepared envelope in a mailbox. Yet, he was cognizant enough and responsible enough to hire people to do all of this stuff and prepare it all for him. He was responsible enough to do the memoir and like all of these things. Like he could put all that together. While DC accountant had already created financial and accounting records in connection with 2017 tax returns, no similar records existed for 2018. Therefore, the California accountants used available bank and credit card statements to create various schedules, including schedules for different categories of expenses in a general ledger for a Wasco PC. A bookkeeper initially classified each expense. The California accountants then requested that the defendant review and confirm the accuracy of the prepared schedules and ledger. The California accountants also identified records for the defendant that they did not have. These included details for wire transfers from a Wasco PC's Wells Fargo account to accounts at J.P. Morgan Chase that were owed by others and statements for a Wells Fargo business line of credit ending in 7350, thereafter business line of credit. On or about January 28, 2020, the California accountants requested that the defendant sign a representation letter. The defendant signed this letter in which he promised that he had made available, quote, all the records and information regarding my income and deductions as necessary for you to prepare the returns. The defendant further confirmed his understanding that the California accountants were relying on him to provide complete and accurate information and that he was responsible for the final accuracy and completeness for his tax returns. He brought all of the receipts to his accountants. The defendant claimed extensive business travel in 2018 when he had none. So now special counsel Weiss is going to knock down the myth that there was an actual business here. In some respect, that's what he's doing. In working with the California accountants to prepare the returns, the defendant claimed business expenses, including approximately $388,810 in business-related travel despite having done little to no business that year. At the same time, the defendant was making those representations to the California accountants. The defendant was working on his memoir, which was not published until after he filed his 2018 returns and which he did not share with them. Unbeknownst to the California accountants, in his memoir, the defendant described 2018 as being dominated by crack cocaine 
uh, crack cocaine use 24 hours a day, smoking every 15 minutes, seven days a week. In fact, the defendant never told the California accountants about his extensive drug and alcohol abuse in 2018, which might have prompted greater scrutiny of his claims of hundreds of thousands of dollars in business expenses. Rather than conducting business and generating business expenses, the defendant wrote in his memoir that after he arrived in California in April 2018, for the next, quote, four or five months, he surrounded himself with and paid for an entourage of, this is from Hunter's memoir, thieves, junkies, petty dealers, over-the-hill strippers, con artists, and assorted hanger-ons, who then invited their friends and associates or and most recent hookups. They latched on to me and didn't let go, all with my approval. I never slept. There was no clock. Day bled into night and night into day. And the defendant specifically described his stays in various luxury hotels in California and private rentals and expenses related to them. In this way, I stayed in one place until I was tired of it or until it tired of me and then moved on. My merry band of crooks, creeps, outcasts soon to follow. Availability drove some of the moves. Impulsiveness drove others. A sample itinerary. I left the Chateau Marmont the first time for an Airbnb in Malibu. When I couldn't reserve it for longer than a week, I would return to West Hollywood and the Jeremy Hotel. There were then stays at the Sunset Tower, 60 Beverly Hills, and the Hollywood Roosevelt. Then another Airbnb in Malibu and an Airbnb in Hollywood Hills. Then back to the Chateau. Then the Nomad downtown, the Standard on Sunset. A return to 60. A return to Malibu. An ant trail of dealers and their sidekicks rolled in and out day and night. They pulled up in late series Mercedes Benz, decked out in oversized Raiders or Lakers jerseys and flashing fake Rolexes. Their stripper girlfriends invited their girlfriends, who invited their boyfriends. They drink up the entire minibar, call for room service for filet mignon and a bottle of Dom Perignon. One of the women even ordered an additional filet for her purse-sized dog. Notably, the defendant did not write that he conducted any business in any of the luxury hotels, nor did he describe any of the individuals who visited him there as doing so for any business purpose. So special counsel Weiss is using the memoir, the book that Hunter wrote against him in this indictment. And it's beautiful, isn't it? You know, the Black Pillars told us Special Counsel Weiss was a cover-up operation. I, I don't see anything about this that says cover-up. <laughs> the defendant failed to identify all personal business, personal expenses paid using corporate funds. On January 28, 2020, the defendant met with the California accountants in person at their office for more than three hours. During this meeting, the defendant reviewed the general ledger and various schedules for a Wasco PC, including a purported office expense schedule and purported professional and outside service schedule to confirm their accuracy. The general ledger that the defendant reviewed included thousands of dollars of personal expenses at luxury hotels, many of which were specifically identified in the defendant's memoir as described above. The defendant never disclosed to the California accountants that his time spent in California in 2018 was not for business purposes. 
And then it lists some of the stuff. Uh, $1,700 for a stay at Borgata in Atlantic City. $2,900 for flights on Virgin America to Los Angeles. $1,700 for a rental of a Lamborghini that he drove when he first moved to California. $43,000 for stays at Chateau Marmont. $463,000 or $463 so that his then girlfriend could ship boxes containing clothing to California. $7,200 for Airbnb rentals. On and on. The general ledger the defendant reviewed also contained $11,555 in rent payments for his daughter's apartment in New York City that were characterized as travel and transport and other. The defendant failed to inform the California accountants that he had used the Owasco PC account to pay these rent payments. While he reviewed the schedules for office expenses and professional and outside services, the defendant affirmatively identified with a yellow highlighter. Personal expenses that should not be deducted as business expenses. While the defendant identified personal expenses on the office expense schedule, including ones as small as $15 payment to a tattoo parlor and a $35.56 payment to a bookstore, he did not identify the following personal expenses. $1,500 Venmo payment on August 14, 2018. That payment was to an exotic dancer at a strip club. The defendant described the payment in the Venmo transaction as for artwork. The exotic dancer had not sold him any artwork. You know, Special Counsel Weiss is kind of a funny man. You know? That is a dry sense of humor right there. I like it. I like it. A $975 payment to a crutch card on September 1st, 2018. This was for the benefit of the defendant's then girlfriend and was unrelated to any business activity of the defendant's. A $400 or $438 payment on May 15th, 2018 to Shinola. Shinola was a clothing store where the defendant purchased personal items. Payments totaling $11,500 to an escort. $2.3 million to PMP Matters Incorporated, an additional check to PMP, uh, a test prep service for his daughter, so that's his daughter's schooling. $499.61 to Sermonetta Gloves for expensive personal items, etc., etc. The defendant falsely claimed that money paid to women with whom he had personal relationships was wages, reducing his tax burden. During the January 28, 2020 meeting, the defendant was also shown a profit and loss statement for a Wasco that included $86,000 in wages to purported employees of a Wasco PC. The defendant knew this was false, but failed to inform the accountants. He knew it was false because despite being engaged in little to no business activity, the defendant directed personal assistant to in 2018 to place on payroll and provide health care benefits to three women with whom he had romantic or sexual relationships and a fourth woman who was related to one of those women. These payroll expenses were treated as business expenses on a Wasco PC's Form 1120, reducing the amount of income to the defendant and as a result, his individual income tax liability. The women that received wages included person one described above as bringing a paternity suit against the defendant who had engaged in a romantic relationship with the defendant in 2017 to 2018. Falsely claimed it as a business deduction, including income from a Wasco PC and his individual taxes. 
The defendant had the following text exchange with personal assistant two regarding person one. Defendant, take person one off payroll. I thought you said she decided she doesn't want to work and didn't need health insurance anyway. Remember that conversation? Personal assistant two, no, I do not remember that conversation. I remember a conversation where I was disappointed that you wanted to pay her the same rate as me, but I am over that. Maybe she told you that I wasn't involved. Maybe she told you that, but I wasn't involved. Defendant, regardless, uh, that's was, that was if she was working a 40-hour week full-time for me. I haven't talked to person one in seven months. Person two is someone with whom the defendant had a romantic relationship and who did not did no work, nor was she expected to do any work for a Wasco PC. The defendant placed person two on payroll in spring 2018 in order to provide her with health insurance. In addition to health insurance, person two received eleven thousand dollars in wages, which the defendant falsely claimed as a business deduction. Defendant placed person three on payroll in spring 2018 and paid her $11,000 in wages and falsely claimed them as a business deduction. Person three had assisted the defendant with personal errands and some light clerical work. After being placed on payroll, person three did not perform any work-related services. The defendant placed person four on payroll in summer 2018. Person four had a sexual relationship with the defendant and acted as a West Coast personal assistant, running errands and performing other personal tasks. Person 4 received $13,000, which the defendant falsely claimed as a business deduction, reducing his income liability, or in, his income to him and his, therefore his tax liability. The defendant falsely identified personal expenses as business deductions. Let's see. Let's Fargo in 15. The defendant then circled certain expenses by hand. Many of the expenses the defendant circled were not, and he knew business expenses. Instead, they were personal expenses generated during that time frame, such as for exotic dancers to fly to and from Los Angeles and New York, the Lamborghini right here. Um, he shipped his Porsche from the East Coast to, yeah, to California, um, hotel stays. Let's see. More hotel stays, more hotel stays and Airbnbs, alcohol. A number of these, okay. A number of these were the very same hotels that the defendant identified by name in his memoir as the locations of his months long drug and alcohol binge. The defendant also circled $275 dinner he had with his then girlfriend at Nobu. In total, the defendant identified over 100 supposed travel expenditures worth nearly $134,000 from his Wells Fargo individual account ending in 49.29, and the Wells Fargo Owasco LLC account ending in 15.53. Approximately 78 of the travel expenditures worth $112,000 were made between April and September 2018. The defendant used these hotels as personal residences. The defendant also circled multiple direct payments to person three, et cetera, et cetera. He wrote down that they were 100% business related when they were not. The defendant wired money to JP Morgan Chase to pay personal expenses and falsely represented to the California accountants that these wire transfers were business expenses. Let's see. I'm going to run out of time soon. So I'm, I'm like speeding up and skipping some of this stuff. Person five was another person he paid as an employee. She cleaned and ran errands and simple things like that. 
grabbing alcohol for him and grocery shopping. The defendant made an additional 26000 in payments to person four. The defendant used the business line of credit to pay personal expenses and falsely represented to California accountants that it was for business expenditures. In truth, the defendant had used the business line of credit to pay for luxury hotels, restaurants, high-end clothing, and other personal items in New York and in California. And then it lists some of those. Special Counsel Weiss really does have the receipts on this guy. The defendant knowingly signed false tax returns on, on or about Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. The defendant emailed the California accountants the following. Wanted to know where we stand on filing. I have a deadline to share uh, 16, 17, 18 returns with my ex-wife by Friday. Even if we have not filed 17 and 18, I would like to get the 16 completed return she needs to sign anyway and drafts of 17 and 18 to her. Please advise. Thanks. On or about February 7th, 2020, the California accountants transmitted draft 2018 forms to the defendant's counsel seeking any proposed changes, comments, or thoughts. The cover email noted that there was information still outstanding that the accountants would prefer to obtain before filing the returns. However, if you or your or our client feel it necessary to file these returns on Monday, we will file we will follow your instructions and finalize the return as is. The California accounts then listed the missing information, which included statements supporting the business line of credit in 2017 and 2018. No comments or questions were received, and the California accountants did not modify the draft returns. On or about February 11, 2020, the defendant met with the California accountants. The defendant reviewed and discussed his individual and corporate income tax returns for 2017 and 2018 with them. After reviewing them, the defendant signed the tax returns. The returns were then mailed to the IRS at the defendant's direction. So he's capable of doing this when he has to. The 2018 Form 1120 contained false information, though. Oops. And that would be the travel expenses, the false employees, uh, false deductions, uh, claiming false legal professional and consulting deductions, including but not limited to payments for his daughter's law and school tuition and his personal life insurance policy, false deductions for payments from Owasco and travel, et cetera, et cetera. So the charge is that Robert Hunter Byron willfully attempted to evade and defeat income tax due and owing by him to the United States for the year of 2018. Count seven is filing a false and fraudulent 2018 form. Count eight, filing a false and fraudulent form for 2018. That's the form 1120. The first, the other one was the individual. This is for the corporate. <coughs> So, uh, claiming false deductions for payments to Owasco's PCs. Okay. Suing claiming false payroll, false business deductions. Count nine, failure to pay 2019, form 1040. In 2019, he earned approximately $1,045,850. And the defendant knew he had to pay taxes in 2019. The defendant owed taxes for 2019 and chose not to pay once again. He owed 
Let's see, his taxable income was 843577 and his taxes owed were 197372 The defendant chose not to pay these. Rather than pay his taxes, he spent millions on his extravagant lifestyle. Restatement of the charge. Signed, David Weiss, Special Counsel, and Leo J. Wise, Principal Senior Assistant Special Counsel, Derek E. Hine, Senior Assistant Special Counsel, United States Department of Justice. So, there is the indictment of Hunter Biden over his tax crimes and, you know, look, maybe I'm wrong, okay? Maybe I'm wrong and Hunter somehow managed to keep all these other expenses in line and paid, but just because of his drug habits forgot to pay all of his tax returns, even though he did not forget to communicate and send documents to his accountants. And he did not forget to hire accountants and he was in communication about this and was fully briefed and had his taxes paid. Like his tax forms were filled out for him. All of the work was he hired people to prepare all of these things for him and then chose not to pay it, even though he had the money to pay it. But I just find that hard to believe. Just like I find it hard to believe that Hunter loaded up a laptop with all the evidence anyone would ever need to expose the entire buying crime family and then forgot it at a repair shop after spilling a little bit of coffee on it. I mean, his bill at the computer repair shop was like $40 or $80, one or the other, something like that. Didn't have a personal assistant go get it, of which he had many. And then his personal laptop comes out and he, his personal laptop comes out and everybody learns about it and he denies it's his, but then files a lawsuit where his lawyer has to affirm that it actually was his. Right? Like, I just don't buy it. I think it's all pur purposeful. And I can't think of like, like how it just, there's so much plausible deniability baked in here. There's plausible deni deniability baked in to the fact or into the, what, what ended up happening here with the laptop. There's plausible deniability baked into it. There's plausible deniability baked into this, these taxes and these charges here. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. What a great week. What a great week. And, you know, there's going to be, there's, there's tons of people black pilling over this. And I think like, really, I think there's, a, there's some kind of rule. I don't, I don't have a name for this rule. Maybe I probably need burning bright to come up with some sort of name for it. Cause I feel like 
there's a paradigm. There's like, there's something that happens. And I'm sure we're all familiar with it. It's like the greater the news is, like the more important and significant the happening, the greater the black pillars try, or like the more the black pillars try to dumb it down and make you miserable. I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, but every time we get something significant, some kind of win, some kind of good news, you can tell just how good it is by how hard the black pillars try to tell you it's not good news. Like there's something to that. <laughs> and uh, you, you every single time, every single time. And I like what uh, Ben McMillan said right here. These black pills are terrible for you. Don't take them. Don't take them. This is, this is such good news. And as I showed you guys earlier, this isn't over. At the time of the plea agreement, and I'm just going to reiterate this at the end of the show before I go. At the time of the plea agreement, the sweetheart plea deal that was occurring this summer, that sweetheart plea deal and the diversion agreement that was in it covered, it covered all of the tax charges and it covered all of the gun charges. That was what was in the plea agreement. And during the questioning, as the judge was doing her job, which was to go through the plea agreement with representation, both counsels and the defendant, and to make sure that both parties completely understood what was in the plea agreement and the diversion agreement, and that they both agreed that it said what it said, and that Hunter Biden would plead guilty, and he would have gotten one misdemeanor charge and some probation and the fine. Right? During that questioning, Mr. Wise, the assistant special counsel to special counsel Weiss, said there's a separate investigation. I can't tell you what it is, but there's a separate investigation. And this agreement right here, the plea agreement that fell apart, would mean that we cannot bring tax evasion charges for the years described, and we can also and we cannot bring the firearm charges. In the court, the judge said, all right, so there are references to foreign companies. For example, in the facts section, that would be CEFC, Burisma. Could the government bring a charge under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? Yes. So, Special Counsel Wise has, not, now, has now brought all of the charges he can bring for in relation to the gun charges and all the charges he can bring in relation to tax evasion. There is still the other investigation. There is still the possibility of FARA charges, and there is still the possibility of charges for James Biden. This is just special counsel Weiss tidying up These, these other things that were much more simple, much more straightforward. If you think about it, these charges, these are, these are so straightforward. And the gun charge thing, so straightforward. 
Also, I want to point out, Special Counsel Weiss could have said, he could have introduced this just right here. Defendant Robert Biden was a lobbyist and a consultant for various companies. He set up a Wasco PC and a Wasco LLC. He had business partners. They set up Hudson West. They worked for various companies, both foreign and domestic, providing counsel and, and uh, advice. They sat on a board. Hunter Biden earned income in these years, 2016 through 2019. He didn't pay. And then this, this charges section, he could have just put count one, Hunter Biden failed to file. Count two, Hunter Biden failed to pay once he did file. Count three, Hunter Biden misrepresented his tax liability on his filing in 2018. It could have just been like straight, dry, no story. No mention of hookers. No mention of drugs. No mention of the memoir. He could have just wrote, Hunter Biden wrote a book. It was published this time. He earned this much money on the book. He failed to pay taxes on the book. This, this document could have been 12 pages. This indictment could have been 12 pages or less. Instead, special counsel Weiss made it 56 pages and chose to tell the story behind each and every charge and tell the story of Hunter's activity between 2016 and 2020. And in doing so, special counsel Weiss has affirmed not everything the IRS whistleblowers have said, but the core allegations the, the IRS whistleblowers brought. He's affirmed, he's, he's affirmed all the work that, no, I shouldn't say all, but a great majority or a significant portion of the work the House Oversight Committee and the House Republicans and their investigations have done into Hunter Biden, the the work that the IRS whistleblowers have done, the documents they provided, um, the House Ways and Means Committee. You know, I mentioned on uh, I mentioned on the Power Hour on Wednesday night how the House Ways and Means Committee has an awesome web website, and we were all laughing about it, right? Like, like how often do you hear somebody say that the House Ways and Means Committee's website is awesome? But when you go there. Look, they have this section right here, Biden Impeachment Inquiry. This is what I mean by awesome. They have this timeline of all the stuff they've been getting. Here's all the materials, all the letters, their interviews with everybody. Here's the whistleblower sessions. They have the fact sheet, key takeaways, transcripts. The They just appeared again for a third time on December 5th. They've already got the they've already got everything there. More key takeaways. They have newly released materials. They got graphics for it all. And here's even here's look, I mean, look at all these links. These are all these exhibits they've brought. This indictment from Special Counsel Wise proves that these guys had the goods. He proved that they're credible. Now, I'm not sure every single thing they said is exactly right. You know, like, I'm not sure how accurate every single thing the whistleblower said because it's their perspective, right? 
But as far as the materials, the raw evidence, the raw facts, it all lines up. And I think it all had to happen that way. I, I think that, you know, there's the narrative that um, from the whistleblowers and others that special counsel Weiss has dithered. He's, he's slow walked this to let certain, let the statute of limitations expire. Um, all this stuff, you know, he wanted to be special counsel. Merrick Garland wouldn't let him. He was blocked from bringing charges in California, then blocked from bringing charges in DC and all this stuff, right? There's all those stories going around, which provide excuses, I think, as to why it's taken this long for these indictments to come out. But I think this is all timed. I think these indictments had to wait to come out until now because the laptop had to be played out. The IRS whistleblowers had to appear and do all these hearings and give all this testimony. The House Republicans had to do their investigation. They had to start their preliminary impeachment inquiry. They had to drop information week by week. They had to, we, this episodic rollout had to occur. I mean, it's been like, it really has been like this Netflix series where every week or so there's some episode that informs the American people on some portion of the Biden crime family's activities. And I think that's all necessary. And I, man, I really got to go, but I, before I go, I got to say this in my chat last night, we were, we were having a conversation and one of the things I, I, I put out there is that perhaps this is Hunter Biden's punishment, this entire thing. Like, if you think that Hunter Biden flipped, like I do, and I know a number of people in chat do, then maybe this whole process is Hunter Biden's punishment to where as part of his flipping, not only did he have to turn over evidence on um, Patrick Ho and other business partners. You know, you notice how many business partners Hunter had that are now in prison. There's quite a few. Um, I think that as perhaps I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure, but perhaps as part of that arrangement where he agreed to turn over evidence on his business partners. He agreed to load his laptop up with evidence and forget about it. Perhaps he also agreed to not pay these taxes and to make sure they were prepared, make sure all the receipts were saved, but not follow through and pay them so that we would get to this point where this entire financial structure is exposed. Because after all, you follow the money. If you want to drain the swamp, you follow the money. If you want to bring down a criminal syndicate, you follow the money. And as part of this, that's right, Wrath of Dog. He's being tarred and feathered in the public eye. So part of his punishment, part of this agreement, is this very public portrayal, disclosure, reveal of the Biden family and everything about it that's ugly. And then he still has to go through the motions to defend himself. He still has the opportunity to hire lawyers and provide who provide him the best defense in these court cases, but the special counsel still brings charges. I don't know. I could be wrong. 
but it just, it's just also perfect. It's just also perfect. And that's right. Uh, Clallin 96 timing and shaming are necessary tattoo teacher. It's all happening while his dad's in office. I don't know how you write a better script than this. And I'm not someone who thinks that everybody's an actor and every single thing is scripted out. And we're all like the refrain that we're all watching a movie, you know, like I don't go too deep on that, but right here, it's appropriate. All right. I got to go. Thank you guys very much. If you like the show, share it. I'll be making, I'll post some more clips in the clips playlist over on rumble. Um, if you're looking for ways to support the show beyond sharing it and hitting the thumbs up, uh, there's links in the description and on my link tree, there's affiliate links to buy Christmas presents with, get yourself some honey, some barbecue sauce, manly cans, if you want the podcast version of the show, just human.substack.com. And uh, it's free. It's free. You can do a paid subscription over there. I really appreciate those, but it, you can get it for everything over there is free. There's also ko-fi.com if you want to buy me a cup of coffee. So you guys make the show possible and I appreciate it so much. And I really enjoyed presenting this to you today. Y'all have a blessed one. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win the war. And man, we won this battle. We won this one. It's a great day. Y'all stay positive. I'll see you later. <laughs>